You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet on a Saturday morning, May 29th, 2021 episode 65 of season three, episode 130 of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. We are now at that point. I mentioned it earlier this season, a few weeks ago, that half of all episodes for the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show would soon be from January 1st, 2021 to the present. And we are now as of this episode, at that point. So just to reiterate, half of all of the episodes that I've recorded and which are now still live, you can go and listen to them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc., etc. Half of them are now just from 2021. But we're going to talk in this episode about more than that. We're going to talk about Paul Washer's sermon on marriage, family, and parenting. I found this with help from my cousin, Micah Hirschberger. He sent it to me, wanted to get my take on it, was curious what I thought of Paul Washer's treatment of marriage. And so I watched everything up to the Q&A and I think two questions worth of Q&A yesterday on my drive home from work and while getting a shower and yeah. So I watched up to that point and a couple of disclaimers before I talk about this a little bit. First of all, Micah, if you're listening, I still intend to do an On The Rocks podcast with you where we do a reaction to some of the specific things that Mr. Washer says in his sermon. So this is not taking the place of that. If you want to hear more after this episode of the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show, please stay tuned because we're planning on an upcoming episode of On the Rocks podcast with Micah Hirschberger focused on this issue, on this sermon and also some other related materials that are out there that have to do with how men are treated, how husbands and fathers and husbandry not husbandry, that's different, how fatherhood and the man's role within the marriage and within the church is treated from the pulpit, how that is regarded in church today. And how does that leave men feeling or able to relate or unable to relate within the context of the church? We're still going to talk about that at On The Rocks podcast soon. And this is not taking the place of that. Another piece, I am not super familiar with Paul Washer. Here's what I know about Paul Washer. The same friends and family on Facebook when I still was on Facebook before last November when I got off never to return again. The same friends and family that share John MacArthur quotes quite often also share Paul Washer quotes. I'm told that Paul Washer and John MacArthur are good friends and that they do a lot of speaking events, conferences together. And so that's the extent of my knowledge. I've never listened to a Paul Washer sermon before listening to this one yesterday. And I don't have a firm, fixed impression of him other than by association with people that I know like John MacArthur. So those qualifiers aside, I'm going to move on to another, um, oh, what would you call it? I, Whatever you want to call it, disclaimer, maybe, uh, Surgeon General's warning. <laughs> Hopefully this podcast episode doesn't cause cancer, uh, except in the state of California. I'm pretty sure it'll, it'll have a warning label associated with it that this this podcast may cause cancer. Uh, I am not trying to go after 
Mr. Washer, similar vein to my reservations regarding lead by Paul David Tripp, which I recorded earlier this month, about midpoint this month, May 18th. I don't have an axe to grind with Paul Washer as a person, and I definitely don't want to go after people that regard him highly and suggest that there's something untoward about him in general. He might be a very fine fellow. He probably is a very fine fellow. He probably has a lot of very helpful things to say on a lot of things. And even if he does hear also with Marriage, Family, and Parenting, this sermon that I will share a link to in the description for this podcast episode, even if he does have really helpful things to say here too, I don't believe that God's servants, God's people need flattery. I don't think that the best way to honor Mr. Washer for his faithful service, if he has served faithfully, is to flatter him and to say that everything he says is fantastic and wonderful and we shouldn't question it, we shouldn't second guess it, we shouldn't go back through and double check the math. I think that God's people, God's servants, when they read the text, grow in maturity and develop an appetite for this kind of critique or this kind of treatment of our conversation and our messaging, especially. Paul says at one point that not many of you should be teachers because you know that we who teach will be held to a higher standard. And so that's a couple of things. One is some of you people that wish you could teach or desire to teach or ambitious for that position, some of you are not supposed to be teachers. You should not be teachers. You don't have the skill set. You don't have the temperament. You don't have the integrity. You don't have the reputation. You, you don't have what it takes, in short, to be a teacher. And it's for the best that you are not a teacher. So stop trying to cram that round peg in a square hole or that square peg in a round hole. It's just not working. That dog don't hunt. But there's also a piece within that which should give us an expectation of greater accountability, of a greater degree of scrutiny when somebody gets up and presumes to teach. And that goes for anybody that goes into a teaching role, whether it's temporarily, whether it's long-term, whether that is what they make their career out of. And Paul Washer happens to be a leader in the church who has made his career out of teaching and giving instruction. And so it stands to reason that greater scrutiny should be expected on his part and on the part of those who really appreciate and respect and admire and trust what it is that he has to say. So all that said, eight minutes plus into trying to unpack what Paul Washer has to say here, let's dig into it. So the first thing with regards to the sermon itself is that there's a whole lot that Mr. Washer has to say that is good as far as it goes, that is true depending on how you define your terms. And he says at one point, he's talking about this seminary class that he was taking years ago and how he was asked along with the class to list attributes of God or, uh, you know, what is God like, right? Well, he's holy, he's powerful, he's merciful, he's loving, he's omnipotent, omniscient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they get to a certain point, and Paul Washer said he had a very thoughtful look on his face. Finally, the professor says, Washer, what is on your face? What is the matter? Why do you look so thoughtful? And Washer very profoundly says, well, we haven't said anything. Well, what do you mean we haven't said anything? We've listed a whole lot of attributes of God right here. Well, yeah, but we haven't said anything. Well, what do you mean? Well, I mean, there's 30 people in this room, 30 students. All 30 of us could have different definitions of each of these attributes. And that list could even be heretical depending on how we define our terms. And so what we really need to do is define what do we mean by holy? What do we mean by loving? What do we mean by merciful? What do we mean by just, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so he uses this story, Paul Washer does, to say that the same goes for any subject, that same principle applies to marriage, to being a husband, to being a father in particular. And Washer spends, I would say, the lion's share of his time speaking about and to husbands and fathers. If it is an equal amount of time, then the amount of time that he spends talking to husbands and fathers and about husbands and fathers feels a lot longer. But the same is true of his treatment of marriage here and his treatment of passages concerning marriage. Now, I think sometimes men of Paul Washer's standing, of Paul Washer's reputation, are forgiven for getting up in front of groups of people like this and just saying what they personally think, their own personal opinion. And the diehard folks that have heard them preach really well and do a really good job of teaching just say, well, you know, that was really fantastic. That was really great. They give it a veneer of respectability and validity, even if the content in this particular sermon wasn't extra biblical. It wasn't super biblical, I'll put it that way. I think it was extra biblical in a number of areas, but it gets treated as if it is super biblical. And you can just look, when you click through this link to the Paul Washer sermon on YouTube, look at the ratio of thumbs up to thumbs down, which, I mean, that doesn't tell us everything, but it does tell us something. 2,400 likes, upvotes, 37 downvotes out of 75,000 894 views. So 75,000, almost 76,000 views, only 2,400 upvotes. What did the other (laughs) 73,500 viewers think of this? Did they just feel uncomfortable expressing their reservations about some of the things that Mr. Washer has to say here? Is that what explains only 2,400 upvotes. You read through some of the comments here, and I decided to be a lone wolf and a odd duck, and I said, I'm not persuaded this is a balanced treatment of husbands and wives' respective callings and responsibilities according to God's word. I've got a comment back from the YouTube channel that... Uh, posted this and that comment back from I'll Be Honest, this YouTube channel says, remember the context this is a spur of the moment sharing time from the conference, a lot of what Paul is dealing with is matters he spoke with others about at the conference and from previous years of observation so yes, it is scattered around and not full or long enough to be balanced and clarify everything as needed. Okay well, thank you, I'll be honest still, if this is just him speaking off the cuff, then what, right? Like, what does that imply to your mind that this is less how he actually feels and what he actually thinks on the subject or what, right? Like, if he had more time to prepare, he would have said more close to what he actually thinks and feels and he would have been more biblical about it because he would have not said how he really thinks and how his home really operates and how his how he really feels about being a husband and his wife and parenting, etc. I guess I just don't understand the implication here, right? We're supposed to be ready in season and out of season, and you can go too far with that. And I'm not trying to say Paul Washer has got to be able to bring his A game at three in the morning when they wake him out of a dead sleep. Hey, you're up, <laughs> you know, like be ready or else we're going to crucify you on YouTube. That would not be reasonable. That's not fair. But sometimes if I get caught in a moment of fatigue and being tired and not feeling well and being stressed out or whatever, sometimes I say something I don't mean. Sometimes I say more closely what I do mean. And 
I suspect that that latter scenario is more the case with what Mr. Washer says here. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, you can't take everything that he says here is exact and you got to take it with a grain of salt. And some of this, he's not really qualifying like he should and unpacking sufficiently. And okay, well then why did you post it to YouTube? Right? Like, I don't see you, I don't see you giving those qualifications here. So I'll be honest, 306,000 subscribers, the episode or video description says, what are some principles that can help with being a godly spouse and a godly parent? In this video, Paul Washer deals with multiple topics and in the second half answers questions from the audience. This was a spontaneous extra session from the 2021 Fellowship Conference. Okay. This is spontaneous. This was a spontaneous extra session. You're telling us that so that we take it with a grain of salt? I mean, what... What exactly is the utility of sharing something that then you're discounting and you're saying, you know, this was pretty candid and you can't fully trust it and, you know, but what does that mean like we can't second guess and push back and question? I don't I don't think so. I'll leave it there. Maybe they're not saying you can't touch this, but if they were, I would disagree. So we'll just move on. My biggest concern here, if this is what Paul Washer really thinks, which presumably it is, if this is what so much of the church believes, because it is, right? It surprises me that this is what Paul Washer really thinks. But then again, why should it, right? Like, why should this surprise me that Paul Washer, with the reputation that he has within conservative, theologically conservative, reformed circles, has this attitude about his own marriage and his own family and his own home and his own responsibility to leading and loving his wife, to leading and loving his children. Why should it surprise me that it's so one-sided? Here's how to test whether the treatment of marriage is one-sided with regards to men and women. If... When you're talking about husbands and wives to a room of husbands and wives, many in ministry, in leadership, serving full-time, vocationally, if within that setting you can say that one spouse categorically, like all husbands or all wives, sometimes legitimately want to kill their significant other, but you wouldn't say it in the other direction. So for instance, you know, husbands, I know, I know sometimes you want to kill your wives. I know I've been there too, right? They are, especially when they burn our dinner, man, and forgetting to pick up the laundry and wash it and fold it on time and not ironing my shirts in just the right way. I mean, it's so frustrating. Sometimes I just want to kill my wife, Paul Washer says. No? No. 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 No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. That, we don't talk that way. That is absolutely unacceptable. No, 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 no. You don't even joke about that, Carrot. Whoa. Well, okay. Fair. So why does Paul Washer go off towards the end of his message, his sharing, time of sharing, whatever you want to call it? Why does he go off about how women, I know sometimes you want to kill your husband. I know. I know. Right? Buckle up because I'm about to go after the women in the room. We're going to talk to you all, you all ladies. Better buckle up because it's about to get real. Well, is it? Is it about to get real? Or are you about to tell all of the women in the room that it's legitimate that they all sometimes want to murder their husbands and your solution to that is that they should take a step back and let God murder their husbands? It reminds me of an episode of The Simpsons wherein Lisa and Bart get in this back and forth. They get into an argument. And Bart, being Bart, 
he says something rude and offensive and Lisa is just fit to be tied. She's absolutely angry with him. And so she starts strangling him. She puts her hands around his neck and starts choking him. And he's doing the you know, choking face and the choking noises. And she's shaking him back and forth. And Homer is present. Homer's the dad. Lisa and Bart are the son and daughter, or daughter and son, respectively. And so Homer steps in and says, Lisa, no, your hands are too small and weak. Let me. And he (laughs) pushes her out of the way, and he starts choking Bart. And that's just a common trope if you don't watch The Simpsons. That happens all the time. Bart says something disrespectful or irritating or whatever, and Homer deals with it. His His method of discipline, apparently, is just strangling his son for a brief period. Never all the way. He doesn't strangle him until he dies. and So that's good, I guess. But he strangles him for a little while to teach him not to do that thing that he does anyways, I guess, whatever. But that's kind of the picture I get here is that Homer Simpson is Paul Washer's idea of God here saying, No, Lisa, your hands are too weak and small. Let me, when Lisa is upset with Bart. Lisa being a stand-in for all of the women in the room, Bart being a stand-in for all of the husbands in the room, Homer being a stand-in for God. This is not even-handed. This is not a fair treatment. When we flip the analogy on its head and we replace the husbands with the wives and the wives with the husbands. This is wildly offensive. But we're going to wink and nod and joke and laugh about the wives wanting to murder their husbands. And I, you could say, well, I think you're taking this too seriously. But am I? Let's look at the rest of what he says. The rest of what he says is very, very common to mainstream American Christianity these days. For instance... Women being strong is praised. A strong woman is, as Paul defines and explains and describes his wife, a strong woman is one who wouldn't even call for her husband if a machete-wielding assailant broke into the house in the middle of the night. A strong woman wouldn't even say, Hey, honey, I hear something downstairs. She would just roll up her sleeves and go get after that person herself. A strong woman would pull her husband aside when she doesn't feel like he's understanding a passage of the scriptures because she is teaching herself the scriptures and she would proceed to, and I quote, instruct him because that's what Paul Washer's wife does for him. She instructs him. And then he has to qualify. He has to explain. Now, I'm not talking about headship. I'm not talking about authority. I am talking about me being subject to my wife and I am talking about her instructing me, but it's not what it looks like, guys. It's not what it looks like. Well, kind of don't believe you right now. Um, Strong woman is going to not cry when she's told that her husband has died. She's not going to cry because she's got four kids to raise. But when you flip it around and when you say, that Paul Washer, by his own admission, has spent far more time investing in training his children than in doing Bible study with his wife because she's a strong woman. Have I mentioned she's a strong woman, Paul Washer's wife? She is a strong woman. Euphemistically, I think, maybe, perhaps, possibly. And she's probably a a dear, sweet woman. Don't get me wrong. Anybody that knows Paul Washer's wife, I'm not trying to be disrespectful or rude, but everybody is getting a little piece of criticism in Paul Washer's message here or his time of sharing, whatever it is. And so if he wants to get up and he wants to say that he is not meeting the standard and he's not nearly so biblical as he likes to think he is sometimes, then let's talk about that, right? Like don't virtue signal and grandstand and say that in the abstract where we're all like, oh, that's sweet. Like, good on you for admitting that you're not so biblical. That's so biblical, right? Like, you're humble bragging. 
And the test of whether it's genuine or whether this is just for you to get some kudos for being super humble is when somebody actually acts on your admission and says, okay, well, let's start with specifics. You know, like, is your marriage so biblical as you're holding your wife and you up as an example? Is it so biblical or, or is some of what you're using to illustrate these passages actually a bad example right like is it actually like if you're saying you're not so biblical as you would like to think you are sometimes then is it fair game to say with some of the examples that you're giving some of what you're describing to say mm, no I don't think so I don't I think that's concerning I think that's not something to emulate I say it is fair game so we'll continue My concern here is when Paul Washer talks about being married to a strong woman and how she has, and I don't remember what they're called, but they're these like Mexican flip-flop and Latina women are known, I guess, I didn't know this because I guess I'm just not, I'm not very familiar with Latino, Latina, Latinx, whatever, Latin culture. Okay, Latin, that's generic. I'm not familiar with Latin culture. I hear from my children who must have heard it somewhere in the neighborhood, I guess, that there's this trope about Hispanic mothers and their flip-flops and how you don't disrespect your mother, you don't disobey your mother, you don't displease your mother when she's wearing those flip-flops because they will be off her foot before you know it and she will whap you upside the head and back and everywhere, right? Like she will just kung fu you from here to kingdom come with her flip-flops. Who knew, right? Who knew? Well, Paul Washer plays off of this trope and I'm sure it's funny, right? Like I, I don't know. Like somebody who's really familiar with Latin culture and who knows this is probably just like, oh yeah, like that's a thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm surely speaking out of my own ignorance of the trope. Okay. But still transpose way he jokes about his wife being a strong woman who could take off her flip flop and throw it around the room and it's going to bounce off eight walls and hit all of the children and him before returning to her hand and then she puts it back on her foot. Like, take that and transpose it into a Middle Eastern church. Transpose that into a culture where the men might take off their shoe and use it to go after their wife and their children. Does it all of the sudden become acceptable to wink and nod at one spouse or the other treating their children and their significant other that way just because it's culturally accepted. It's culturally accepted that a Latin marriage might contain some <laughs> wife-on-husband flip-flop beating, uh, flip-flop violence. Is that is that acceptable or... What is our initial gut reaction from a cultural standpoint if we imagine the shoe being on the other foot? You know what it is. I know what it is. We know full well that if Paul Washer were giving this presentation, this Q&A time, and he were to talk about how sometimes he takes his sandal off and he lets his wife know she was out of line there, right? Ooh, buddy, we would never hear from Paul Washer again. That would be the end of Paul Washer. And I'm not saying he should be doing that. I'm not saying he should be saying he takes his sandal off and goes after his strong woman because that's acceptable. Sometimes you just want to kill your wife, you know? I'm not saying that that's good. I'm saying... If that's not so good, then why is there a sanctity around him saying that his wife is that way? That 
quote unquote strong women are that way. What? Why is that? Why is that acceptable? I don't believe it is. I think you're just affirming a status quo here and you're giving it an aura of spirituality and goodness and decency and legitimacy that it does not deserve. I think you're spiritualizing your marriage and perhaps an unhealthy relationship in your home. You're holding that up as the example. And all the other men who are in exactly that same kind of a scenario are like, yeah, I feel less ashamed of my marriage being that way right now because you just legitimated it. You just normalized it. Thank you, Paul Washer. That was super convicting. And by convicting, I mean a relief because now I don't have to address that. I can embrace it and I can make it super spiritual that I just accommodate that because that is the way of our country right now. Me too, the movement, hashtag me too, going after men, always men, for supposed sexual misconduct, rape, sexual assault, uh, unwelcome sexual advances. Me too, in recent years, has only gone one way. It is a one-way street. And it is very lopsided. There have been people whose careers have been destroyed, have been terminated, they've been let go, they've been removed from their positions, they've been ostracized on nothing more than allegations. Should we take allegations seriously? Yes. Should allegations and accusations be believed uncritically without due process? Should we assume guilt on the part of men? And should we assume honesty on the part of women just by virtue of the gender? Uh, no. Sorry, like, call me crazy, but no. Like, women can lie. Men can lie. Women can lie. You believe in equity. You believe in equality. You believe in treating men and women with equal respect. Well, start by respecting the fact that women are equally capable of lying to men. A man could lie and say, oh, no, 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 I never had an inappropriate relationship with that woman. I never made advances. I never asked her out for dinner. I never, you know, a man could absolutely lie about that when confronted with an allegation of misconduct. So also, a woman could lie. For Exhibit A, biblically, I refer you to the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. It was Potiphar's wife who was making the advances. It was Potiphar's wife who was sexually harassing Joseph. Joseph refuses to give in and he gets me too. He gets falsely accused and nobody listens to him and he gets thrown in prison and that's that. But this trend is very dangerous and it's very corrosive and it's very toxic and it's toxic for the men. And believe it or not, the counterintuitive is that it is very toxic for women too. It's toxic to create this scenario in which you say to women that it's good and godly and praiseworthy and acceptable that you want to murder your husband in his sleep, that you want to take your sandal off and go after him. Even just briefly, right? Like even just to give room for that at all, when you're going to be hyper vigilant on the husband's side of things, and if he misspeaks, if he even has an untoward emotion when he comes home. Paul Washer gives this example and he uses it as a way of leveraging his point with regards to the men in the room. If you even have an emotion of anger, not acting on it, not abusing your wife, not hitting her, not even saying anything untoward, just asking the question. He, he uses the example of coming home after a long day of ministry. He hasn't eaten all day. No breakfast, no lunch. He's hungry. He's tired. It's been stressful. He's just feeling really spread thin. He comes home. There's no meal ready for him. The house is a mess. And he feels frustrated. And he feels like, what, what, what have you been doing all day? Like, what? I need your support here. What is going on? In the one scenario... He just even feels that, and his wife has a legitimate reason, like the kid was sick, and I had to sit with them all day and watch them and take care of them and comfort them. I didn't have time to 
get a meal and I'm sorry and I apologize and I will go and get you something fixed up real, real quick and please forgive me, right? And what Paul Washer says is, in that scenario, just even his being frustrated and irritated is wrong. And he's going to take himself out to the woodshed and he's going to beat himself over the head repeatedly with an oak or hickory switch because... He failed. He failed to be a good husband. He failed to be like Jesus. He failed to be a good Christian. Now, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. Wait a second. This is a double standard. On the one hand, you said, everybody buckle up because we're going to talk to the women here for a minute. Women, sometimes you want to kill your your, uh, husbands. Sometimes you want to kill your husbands. And I got a stern rebuke for you. Let God do it. Wait, what? What? That's your rebuke? Not, wives, you shouldn't want to kill your husband? Like, shame on you? You should repent of that? Let God do it? Like, if you want your husband to really be killed, really be slain, slaying bodies, God's all about slaying bodies of husbands and putting them to death. Every marriage that has issues is always the fault of the husband, don't you know? In every scenario, in every scenario, it's always the husband's fault, and the husband has the responsibility to be more like Jesus. And if the husband would just be more like Jesus, then the wife would be more like the church, I guess, right? Like if that's the example in the New Testament, which it is, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and laid his life down for her. If that's the example, well, then in that scenario, the wife is. The church and presumably all of the ways that Jesus loves the church, besides just providing the atoning sacrifice for her, all of those ways suddenly become applicable. So in the case of Jesus loving the church, he doesn't love the church by only washing the church's feet, washing his disciples' feet. That's not all he does. Sometimes he loves the church by leading, correcting, rebuking, contradicting, saying, no, that's not okay. That's not what we're doing. He does sometimes get upset and express frustration and disappointment and disapproval. It is not always, oh, they're there. I'm the problem. You, I'm just not worthy of the church. Jesus doesn't sit up in heaven at the right hand of the Father and say, The problem is me, right? If the church is not doing what the church is supposed to be doing, the problem is me, right? Now, this is an analogy that breaks down, as all analogies do, at a certain point. So don't get me wrong. We husbands do very often not live up to the example of Christ. And when that happens, we repent. The problem is not always our wives any more than it is always us. But by golly... The problem is not always us as husbands when there's a conflict, when there is a contradiction, when there is a problem. When marriages have problems, it is not always the husband's fault. And to presume that it is always the husband's fault really does flip the whole idea of biblical headship. It really does. It goes completely against. And pastors should know better, but very often pastors are just going along with the flow. We see this with the woke thing, with the critical theory thing right now where it's du jour for pastors to pile on for conservatives, to go after conservatives and to wink and nod at progressives, to wink and nod at the left. If the left wants black lives matter, then by golly, we're going to go black lives matter. So I don't get canceled. So my ministry doesn't get canceled. So my church doesn't get canceled. We're going to go after the conservatives when they get politically involved. And we're going to treat, the progressives with kid gloves because the progressives kind of sound like they're on the war path calling for repentance. And yeah, well, I mean, we should repent sometimes. Yeah, but, right? Yeah, but just because some strong woman comes into your office saying, fix my husband, that does not mean that this scenario is what it appears at first. Don't judge by appearances, Jesus says, judge with right judgment. If you've got a strong woman who's saying, you do what I want, 
sit down, let me instruct you, or I'm going to come after you with my flip-flop. Mm, what would we say if the shoe was on the other foot? If the husband is saying, sit down, woman. In the Middle East, that might not be so uncommon, right? I've seen some videos that have made my blood boil. In the Middle East, where a husband is verbally and physically abusing his wife because she dared to talk back. And that is absolutely, absolutely unacceptable. I'd like to take that guy out behind the woodshed. That's what he needs. But is it suddenly okay? Does it suddenly acquire a spiritual aura of legitimacy if the wife is a quote-unquote strong woman and she is backing her husband into a corner and railing against him and criticizing everything he does and second-guessing everything that he does and getting aggressive and getting physical with him, does that suddenly become okay? No, it does not. No, it does not. Hopefully that's not the scenario in Paul Washer's marriage. Probably isn't. But what he's saying is not being, he's not being very careful here. And I don't think he's being exegetical I think he's being eisegetical and he's cherry picking certain verses and he knows better, but it's so close to home and it's such a loaded topic emotionally and you are going up against everything in culture right now for the past hundred years. You're going up against feminism and everything and you take enormous risk to your ministry, to your reputation, to your family to your social circles if you say, why the uneven treatment, right? Why is the Mother's Day sermon in most churches extolling the virtues of mothers, telling all the good stories of mothers and how wonderful mothers are, how single mothers are God's favorite people and how married Mothers and wives do so much, and we need to appreciate them more. And that's the problem, is we just don't appreciate them enough. We don't support them enough. We don't encourage them enough. But the Father's Day sermons are, husbands, dads, you are so necessary. You are so necessary. And let's talk all about what happens when you don't do your job, because you're not doing your job. You're not doing it. You're not getting it done. You're not doing enough. And better watch out. You're causing enormous damage by not doing a good enough job as a husband and as a father. You need to step up, man. The problem here is that you guys are not doing enough. Do more. Do better. Try harder. Right? Like, why Why that disparity? You will never, ever, 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 ever hear a Mother's Day sermon that sounds like Father's Day sermons. You just won't. You won't hear, wives, you are so necessary. You are so important. You are so critical. And when you're not engaged, and when you're not being a mother as God called you to, it causes so many problems. And it, when you're not being a wife to your husband, the way that God says in his word, you're supposed to be. When you're not doing that, it causes so many problems. And look at all the problems in society and in the world. And you need to do better, women. You need to do, you need to step up. You, you'll never hear that sermon. And I'm not even saying that you necessarily should, but why is it so one-sided? Why is it so disparate? Why don't you hear Father's Day sermons saying, Fathers, I just so appreciate what y'all are doing. And it's so good. And we don't give enough support and encouragement and applause to the husbands and fathers. Why don't you ever hear sermons like that? It's not even. It's not an even treatment. And I blame feminism for that. Feminism is the water that we all like fish have been swimming in our whole lives in American culture to the point that we don't even know that we're wet. This modern egalitarian Wealth and power redistribution campaign. It doesn't stop with the talk of glass ceilings. It doesn't stop with talking about equal wages and fair wages for women in the corporate and business world. It doesn't stop with the obvious stuff. It 
is in the church in spades. There's a lot of it in the church. There's a lot of it in the church, even in the homes and in the sermons and in the spontaneous messages from prominent conservative, theologically conservative Christian leaders and pastors, I think. If we would rebuke a man for going after his wife and children with his flip-flop in anger, and we would give that a veneer of respectability that he was upset, and that sometimes you just want to kill your wife. If we would, then shame on us. But so also, if we would do that when it's a woman, and the woman is going after her husband and her children with her flip-flop, we give that a veneer of respectability. Sometimes she just wants to kill her husband. Well, then, so also, shame on us. That's not okay. That's not acceptable. The solution to abusive relationships where the husband, the father, is abusing his wife and his children is not to let her get some shots in for a few generations. That's not the solution. If you think, after watching this sermon or this message or this candid Q&A, open heart moment, uh, if you watch it, listen to it, and you come to a completely different conclusion and you think I'm being too hard on him, let me know. Reach out. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your case. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm being too hard. I don't think I am. I think this double standard and this harsh man bashing on the part of pastors is entirely mercenary. Uh, I think ever since the temperance movement, when pastors across America teamed up with women who were the wives and mothers that were tired of their men coming home drunk, going to work drunk, coming home drunk, being worthless. I think ever since then, you've had the pastors that teamed up with these women to get that prohibition passed. They decided to continue on their alliance with the women in their churches for the suffrage movement, for lots of other things. And now this mindset, this attitude towards their own marriages and towards their women and their men in their congregations has infused the kind of teaching, the kind of training, the kind of vocational ministry prep that happens in seminaries. That's my theory. Changed my mind, right? Uh, I'm going to be like, uh, what's his name, Crowder. He goes out to college campuses. Uh, Stephen Crowder, is that right? Boy, it bugs me that I can't. See, I'm so, I'm so bad with names. Just absolutely terrible with names. Crowder is his last name. And louder with Crowder... Uh, I can see his face. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about, or if you don't, what does it matter if it can't remember his first name? Crowder goes out to college campuses, sets up a table with a tablecloth with a sign taped to it that says whatever his position is. His inflammatory, uh, not politically correct position that is going to get him boycotted and protested and whatever on a college campus. So he'll put that, just one word or one phrase you know, one sentence statement. And he knows that most of the kids on this college campus are being brainwashed into the opposite position. And so he puts, change my mind. And there's a funny adaptation, like a Photoshopped version of that, that my coworker, Tyler Stevenson, has up in his office. It says, uh, cross-threading is better than Loctite, or is more effective than Loctite, I'm sorry. Change my mind. And it's Crowder sitting there, behind one of these tables with his coffee mug and a smirk on his face. But, you know, here's my theory. Here's my theory on why so many churches, even conservative pastors, leaders, respected men in the church are embracing this and, and they have this double standard and they're not being entirely biblical. They, they, as You don't take my word for it. Take Paul Washer's word for it. He says... I'm not always so biblical. Let's not even bring you guys into it. He starts out saying we, and then he stops. He's like, you know what? I, I won't even bring you into it. I just say for me personally, I'm not always so biblical as I'd like to think I am. Okay.
we'll come back to that, right? Like, let's freeze frame. And can we talk about that specifically? And do we want to? And should we? Should we? I think we should. Is our attitude here that we pick up from mainstream Christian culture in America, from even maybe the seminaries, possibly, even the really conservative seminaries, sometimes get distracted fighting these big theological battles between liberal theology and conservative theology, and what is our attitude towards the text, right? And we forget to invest ourselves in the theology of the home, the theology of our marriage, the theology of how we raise our children and how we relate as men and women to one another. And maybe as we forget to invest in that, we forget that there was a, there was an earlier thing, an earlier attitude that was not biblical that crept into the church, to the doctrine and practice of the church, into our attitudes towards men and women and gender, and that that precedes feminism. It precedes the transgender movement and the LGBTQ movement. It precedes it and helped to pave the way for it. Gender is a social construct. Men are pigs. Women don't get enough credit. Men are tyrants. So now the shoe needs to be on the other foot for the sake of equality. But is it actually equality or is it a rebellion against God's created order? Is it a you know, sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. But anyway, I got to go. I got to leave it there. I need another cup of coffee. It's a Saturday morning. Let me know what you think and correct me if I'm wrong. Change my mind. As always, thank you for listening. And until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.